And this morning we've got a lot to cover, uh, and we, we plan on taking a communion as we've, uh, as a church, we've set aside the first Sunday of each month to uh, partake in, uh, of communion. We want to go ahead and uh, do that this, uh, at the close of our service. I want to encourage you guys uh, just to be uh, preparing your hearts for that, and as we just go through the Word and study and see what God has for us. And so... Uh, We're going to jump right in. We are in Matthew chapter 17 this morning, and uh, we're going to be covering verses 1 through 8. Matthew 17, verses 1 through 8. And I know we just stood for for worship, but I'm going to ask you to stand as we read this morning's uh, portion of Scripture, just in honor of His Word. Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Let's read. It says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here, if you wish. Let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them. And said, Arise, and do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would lead and guide us through your word this morning. Lord, we thank you just for being with us in our time of worship. Uh, Excuse me, singing unto you uh, and lifting our hearts to you. And Father, we want to lift ourselves, continue to lift ourselves to you and and submit ourselves to your word and what you may have for us. Lord, I pray that we would uh, be able to not just uh, understand uh, the, what was going on here on the, the Mount of Transfiguration, but Father, we'd also be able to make application to our lives. That we would glean things that uh, are, are for us as individuals and for us corporately as a church. And so, Father, we ask for your Spirit's leading and guiding And we look forward to all that you want to show us and all that you want to speak to us and and just remind us of through your word. We pray that your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. I know that we read verses 1 through 8, but we're going to backtrack just a little bit because last week, you may recall, we finished off chapter 16, but I told you that we would expound further upon verse 8. This week, or verse 28, uh, this week of chapter 16. And so uh, we want to look at that. Verse 28, uh, if you guys look back at it, uh, it says, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. And I had said, a lot of people believe that maybe, it, I, I, I think most people know this, but you know the, the verse numbers and the chapter divides, those are not part of the original, uh, you know, transcripts. <laughs> Those are things that were added in to help us reference uh, the Bible, to go to certain areas. It's kind of like a key catalog type of thing. And so a lot of people, there's some discrepancy saying, hey, maybe verse 28 really should have been verse 1 uh, of chapter 17. And so we're going to look at that. Uh, verse 28, it, it's uh, 
debated amongst different schools of eschatology. Okay, eschatology is a big fancy word that scholars like to use to refer to the study of the end times. Okay, and so uh, certain aspects of verse 28 make it difficult to understand exactly what Jesus was speaking of. The main thing that really is debated is what Jesus meant when he referred to the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Okay, now there are uh, a number of different uh, interpretations on what this verse means. I'm going to share three with you. Uh, there, there's pro- probably others, but I'm going to share three. Okay, some look at verse uh, the previous verse because they want to look at the context and they look at verse 27 where Jesus speaks about his second coming. And they believe that Jesus is continuing to refer to his second coming in verse 28. Okay? Now, the difficulty with this view is that all the disciples that he was speaking to have died. And so, uh, if we believe that verse 28 is speaking about the second coming, we also must believe that the second coming has already taken place. Okay? Uh, that it took place prior to the death of the disciples, because it says there that uh, some would not taste death. And we know that they've all died, and so uh, if this is referring to the second coming, we have to believe that the second coming already happened. Okay? We would have to believe um, also if the second coming has already happened, then uh, you know, the things like the rapture, the great tribulation, uh, the coming of the Antichrist, the millennial reign, all those things that are prophesied in connection with the second coming, we'd have to believe that those have already taken place as well. Uh, and so, uh, to me, as we look at this, having to connect all those things together and say, well, if it's talking about the second coming, then all these things have happened. I, I don't believe those things have happened, and so I do not believe that Jesus was referring uh, to the second coming in verse 28, or that it's not likely. It's possible, but it's not likely. Okay? One possible solution to this interpretation uh, is that Jesus was referring to what John would see on the island of Patmos. Okay, if you guys are familiar with John and his ministry, he wrote the book of John and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, but he also wrote the book of Revelation. Okay? And while uh, John was uh, given a view of the end times, and it's recorded for us in the book of Revelation, where the second coming, the Antichrist, the Great Tribulation, all those, those things are spoken of in the book of Revelation. And so perhaps you could say, well, John, he fits that. And it is talking about the second coming. And he did get to see those things before he died. Now, the one problem with that, even that solution, is that um, we would have to believe that when Jesus said some, plural, that... He really only meant one, and that he was referring to only John. Uh, and this makes us kind of change what the scripture says. So again, it makes me feel a little uneasy saying that that's what this verse means. Okay, another opinion, a viewpoint, is that some hold that verse 28 is speaking about Jesus setting up his kingdom through the church. Okay? That Jesus is possibly speaking of the work that would be, uh, begin through the church at Pentecost. When God's Spirit came and was poured out upon men and a, and a new uh, age was come, uh, age of grace and the church kingdom and everything that went along with that, uh, this vi- view fits within the lifetime of the disciples. And we say, okay, well, that, that fits there. But it really doesn't refer to the Son of Man coming as much as it does speak about the Holy Spirit coming. And uh, interestingly enough, we know that the Scriptures teach us in John chapter 16, verse 7, that in order for the Holy Spirit to come, that Jesus had to first go, that he had to leave. And so to connect the coming of the Holy Spirit with the coming of the Son of Man would seem to contradict the scriptures that teach us that the Son of Man had to leave in order for the Holy Spirit to come. And so, again, this view 
you know, some people believe it, but it, it has some holes within it. Another viewpoint is that Jesus was speaking about the transfiguration, which we just read about in chapter 17. Okay? The transfiguration, it fits within the context. We don't go look back and look at verse 27 and see the second coming. We get to look forward and look at verse 1 of chapter 17, and we see that uh, the context is there. In all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, in which the transfiguration is recorded, the previous verses speak about this promise Jesus gave about some not tasting death until the Son of Man comes in his kingdom. Okay. Also, it fits with the idea of it being a select group, some of them, because we see that in the transfiguration, it was just Peter, James, and John uh, amongst the disciples that got to be a part of seeing this. Okay. The difficulty with this viewpoint is that we don't typically think of the transfiguration as an event depicting the coming of the Son of Man into His kingdom. Most of us, we look at it, we see it as a divine revelation of the nature of Christ. And so it's not necessarily, I think we don't look at it as a picture of Christ's coming. However, there is a solution to this as well. Okay, and it's been proposed based upon what Peter had to say. Remember, Peter was one of the guys that was up there on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he says this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. He says this, I'll read it to you. He says, For we do not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we see here clearly Peter is referencing the event of the transfiguration uh, in Second Peter verses one, uh, chapter 1 verses 16 through 18. And as you look at that, Peter testifies that this event was a display of Christ's coming in power and majesty. And so based upon that, we can have a biblical testimony from from Peter that the transfiguration was a display of his coming in power and majesty. And so which interpretation is correct? There's actually others as well as I was studying. Here's the honest answer that I'm going to give you. I, I can't say for sure. We can't say for sure. I tend to believe that Jesus was indeed referencing the transfiguration when he was talking about uh, what he spoke, verse 28. But I do see room for other possibilities. I think the idea of John and what he saw uh, uh, through the book of Revelation uh, is something that interests me, and there's a possibility. And, you know, I want to... Just make a minor point it's about Bible study. Not a whole lot of I mean, necessarily application, but sometimes Bible study is like that, you guys. Sometimes we, we study it and we look at it from different angles and, and approaches and, and we look at different cross-references and maybe we, we study the original language and, and we don't always come up with a sure proof interpretation or understanding of the text. Okay? And oftentimes, after we go through all that study, we'll find ourselves perhaps leaning more heavily upon one view uh, than another. And that's okay. But I want to just caution us and caution you uh, that we need to be careful uh, of making a hard stance upon something that the Bible does not take a hard stance upon. Okay? I think that we can run the possibility of becoming dogmatic with our own opinions and views, that we can sometimes cause others to stumble. And we can even find ourselves to be in sin because we will look down upon others that maybe not say, see that uh, interpretation in the same light as you see it and so we look down upon them and, and that could be sinful to be judging another 
And, and so we just need to be careful. Okay? Uh, don't get me wrong. Okay? Where, where Scripture is clear, we make a stand, and we make a stance. We say, no, this is absolute. The interpretation is solid. We know for sure we're making a stand here, and we need to do that, standing upon the, the truth of the Scripture. But in those times of uncertainty, you know, with debatable things, you know, it's best to know what you believe, you know, study it for yourself, have an understanding, say, this is what I believe. But at the same time, we need to understand that there are other possibilities. And as I look at verse 28, I think he's talking about the transfiguration, but I also understand that people have some different interpretations. And I'm not going to look down upon them or judge them. And if you guys disagree with me that it's the transfiguration, you can send me an email and I won't get mad. Uh, And you can share your thoughts with me and openly discuss this uh, 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 topic. So, the verse 28. I, I didn't want to leave it hanging. Last week I, we didn't get to address it, so there we go, verse 28. Let's move on. Let's look at the details of the transfiguration. Verse 1 says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. Six days after Jesus had promised some would not taste death, until they saw the Son of Man coming in His kingdom, we see Jesus take with Him three of His disciples, Peter, James, and John, and He led them up a mountain. We're told here that it went, they went up a, a high mountain by themselves. And we're not told which mountain they went up on. Uh, scholars actually disagree, and there's different speculation upon which mountain that is. Some say uh, that it was Mount Tabor, and if you actually go and visit Israel, I think they have a lot of churches, and, and they say this is definitely it was Mount Tabor where the transfiguration happened. But there's a lot of evidence that suggests that it might be Mount Hermon as well. And so uh, Scripture doesn't tell us, so we don't make a strong, strong stance upon it. We just know that it was a high mountain. Mount Hermon is much higher than Mount Tabor. It's actually closer to Caesarea Philippi as well. And so because of that, a lot of people look at, oh, I think it, may, it should be Mount Hermon. doesn't really matter. Just let you know about that. Okay. Uh, anyways, we see here that Jesus has taken with him just three of his disciples. And this is not the first time that these three disciples were chosen to go with the Lord on a special errand, a special ministry. Okay? When Jesus went to minister to Jairus' daughter, you guys remember we covered that as we've been making our way systematically through the book of Matthew. We saw that he only brought with him Peter, James, and John. Luke 8.51 tells us uh, that detail uh, amongst the other Gospels. Okay? Later on, uh, something we've already covered as well as we went through uh, our, our Palm Sunday and Easter and we had a number of studies just looking at that last week of ministry before the Lord. Uh, when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray on the, uh, on the night that he's going to be betrayed, he brought with him these same three guys. Uh, Matthew 26 verse 37 tells us that. Okay, And it's interesting to me that it seems that Jesus would would single out these men. Okay? Uh, no specific reason is ever given as to why these men were selected over, say, uh, Matthew or Andrew or Judas. Well, not Judas Iscariot, but the other Judas. You know, maybe why, why not those guys get a, uh, pulled aside for special uh, opportunities in ministry? You know, perhaps uh, speculation, but perhaps it was because these were some of the first guys that were called to join him in ministry. And so these guys have been there since the beginning. Uh, it was Peter and Andrew and James and John, the first four that were publicly called to follow him. And so perhaps these three had a special place uh, because they were one of the first. Okay? Maybe it was because uh, God knew how important of a role that these men would play 
in the first century church. We see that these three guys are, are prominent figures within uh, the first century church. And so maybe it was just that opportunity to pour more into them and disciple them. And, and some, uh, a little funny, but some even suggest that it wasn't because these guys were so great that Jesus kept them close to him, but rather because these guys were the troublemakers amongst the group. Okay? And Jesus had to keep them close to him so that he can keep an eye on them. Okay? If you guys recall, it's Peter that's always opening up his mouth and, and letting, uh, letting it get him into trouble. Okay? It was James and John that were given the nickname of the Sons of Thunder. Okay? They wanted to uh, call down fire from heaven upon people because they didn't welcome them into the village. And so, you know, I think you could actually make a, a pretty strong case if there's any disciples that needed maybe a little extra attention and needed to stay close to Jesus, that you could say these three really, you want to keep an eye on them. Perhaps that's why. We don't know. We don't know why these three were chosen. The scriptures don't tell us. And why these three were chosen, though, isn't as, po- as important as noting the fact that these men were able to be part of and witness some incredible things because they spent more time with Jesus. Because they spent more time with the Lord, they enjoyed a a closer relationship with the Lord, and they got to experience more things than the other disciples. And I I believe the same is true today. That there are those that are closer to the Lord than others. Not that God plays favorites, right? Romans 2.11 tells us that God doesn't show partiality. But simply, there are those that spend more time with the Lord that make more time to be with the Lord. And for that reason, they are closer to the, than others who come, or excuse me, who choose not to spend as much time with the Lord or who choose not to make time for the Lord. And it's not that God loves them more or prefers them more. It's, it's simply a matter of time spent in a relationship. The more time you devote to someone the more you will experience with them. I think we can look at that and agree uh, that uh, often, excuse me, uh, the more opportunities you have to, to be with someone, the more opportunities you're going to experience things with them. And so I think that there are those, by the choices that they've made to spend time with the Lord and to make time with the Lord, that are closer with the Lord. They see the Lord do more things than maybe someone who says, ah, I really don't have a desire to spend time with the Lord, and so they're not as close. I, I thought of an example. I, I thought it made sense to me. Hopefully it makes sense to you. Sometimes I, I have, uh, may have to run errands, you know, to, to go to the grocery store or the Kusuri to get some diapers or formula. Uh, um, pharmacy, that's the Kusuri, the Japanese uh, name for it. Um, and oftentimes when I'm, I'm leaving, i got to run errands. My wife, I don't know why, but she always says, do you want to take any of the boys with you? And... Uh, <laughs> And I'll, and I'll open invitation. Hey, boys, any of you guys want to come with me? i got to go run some errands and go here and do this and whatnot. And the invitation goes out to all, but not all of them usually want to come. Sometimes one will come with me. And because they're with me, you know, sometimes I'll get them a little treat, a little bit extra. Maybe we'll stop at 7-Eleven. We'll get a little a soda or a, an ice cream or wherever at the grocery store. I'll let them pick out something special, you know. Not because I love them more than my other sons, but just because, hey, they made the choice to be with me. And so because they, got to, they chose that, then they get the blessing. You know, they get, the, the, <laughs> they get to, you know, experience more with that and, and enjoy that blessing. And I think it's maybe a simple way, but I think that happens in, in our walk with the Lord. 
You know, when we say, I want to spend time with you, Lord, well, the Lord spends time with us. And, and we get to be a part of things that, you know, others who say, yeah, I don't want to go. I don't want to be there. And, and so we miss out. We miss out on those blessings. And, and um, James chapter 4, verse 8, it actually tells us, it begins, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The invitation has been given to all of us to draw near to God. And he promises that if we draw near to God, him, that he will draw near to us as well. And, and I believe that God desires for all of us to spend more time with him, to experience more things with him. But we need to want that too. Maybe... Maybe today you just feel like your relationship with the Lord's a little dry. Or perhaps you feel like your relationship uh, with the Lord's a little distant. You know, you feel He's distant from you. And uh, in a loving way, I would ask you just a few questions. And I, I would say, have you been drawing near to Him? Have you, have you been setting aside time to pray, to, to seek the Lord, to read His Word, to spend time in fellowship with his sons and daughters, the body of Christ. Those types of things, when we feel distant from him, oftentimes it's because, well, we haven't made any, a lot of opportunity to spend time with him. Oftentimes when we feel like God is distant, it's not because God doesn't want to be with us. It's rather because we haven't taken the time to be with him. And we haven't made being with him a priority in our life. And so I want to encourage us, that we need to be make, make spending time with the Lord a priority in our lives. Knowing that the more time we spend with Him, the more opportunities we'll have to see Him do incredible things. Not only in our life, but in the lives of the people that are around us. And that's what happened with Peter, James, and John. They hung around with Jesus. They got, to, they got exposed to some really incredible things. They saw Jairus' daughter raised back from, the, uh, from dead. And, and they saw the transfiguration because they spent time with Him, and the others didn't. And so we want to make sure that we're spending time with the Lord. Make it a priority in your life. Let's continue. Verse 2 and 3, it says, And He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and His clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with Him. Here we read of something very amazing. The transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Okay, that, that word transfigured is the root Greek word metamorpho. Okay, and I don't speak Greek, but it's something close to that. It's where we get our English word metamorphosis. Okay, you guys probably remember that word, right? Way back in, in elementary school or, you know, maybe junior high and you had to do the science experiment and you watch the life cycle of the butterfly, how it starts as a caterpillar and goes into the cocoon and it, and it goes through this process of, of uh, it, it metamorphosis. What amorphosizes is not a word, it's a noun. It, it morphs. Thank you. Thank you, Jess. It morphs. It changes. It, it changes into a butterfly. That's what metamorphosis is. Okay? Uh, metamorphosis is a change in form or appearance. Jesus' appearance, it was seen temporarily in a, in a transfigured form of his supernatural self. His face shone like the sun. I mean, we don't look at the sun, right? If we look directly into the sun, we're going to hurt our eyes. I mean, that's the brightness that His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. 
The glory of the Lord was seen by the disciples as Jesus was transfigured upon the mountain. You know, it reminds me of the account in Exodus chapter 33 and 34. You guys may be familiar with the account in Exodus. There Moses was up on Mount Sinai meeting with the Lord and receiving the Ten Commandments. And Moses made a request. He spent time with the Lord and he, and he asked the Lord, he made a request. He said, Lord, please show me your glory. In Exodus 33, verse 18, And the Lord, He graciously granted Moses His request. He offered to Moses an opportunity to catch just a glimpse of His glory as the Lord would hide Him in the cleft of a rock and, and uh, cover Moses' face with His hand. He'd pass before Him, and as He would pass before Him and remove His hand, He'd get to catch just the, the backside of the glory of the Lord. And it was an incredible experience there for Moses. And, and it's interesting because in chapter 34, Moses, he's making his way down the mountain. And unbeknownst to him, his face is shining, it tells us in verse 29 of chapter 34. You see, after spending time with the Lord and hearing his word and seeing his glory, Moses' face, it shone, shone, shined, shone, shone, forgive me, because it was reflecting the glory of the Lord. Okay. When he would depart from the presence of the Lord, as you continue to read, that, that, that shine in his face, it would begin to fade away. Okay. And so when he would go in and see the Lord, he would reveal, he had put a veil on his face, but he would remove it and spend time with the Lord, and then he would put a veil upon his face because people were kind of like, whoa, look at your face type of a thing. But, you know, there is a difference in this account uh, in Matthew 17 and the one of Exodus. The difference with the event is that this one is that Jesus Christ is not reflecting the glory of the Lord. Okay? The glory of the Lord was radiating from within him. He is God. And that brightness, the glory of the Lord was shining forth from him. It wasn't a matter of the Father was there in the clouds, as we'll see, and he's reflecting it. It was coming from him, radiating from him. You know, it's been said that the greater miracle of the transfiguration was not that Jesus revealed part of his divine glory on that mountaintop, but that Jesus was able to conceal that glory while living amongst men. And I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact of John 1.14 that teaches us that God became flesh and dwelt amongst us. The glory of God was contained in human form, and that is the, the bigger miracle. Not that He revealed Himself, that glory on that mountaintop, but that He was able to conceal it for 30 plus years. That is a greater miracle. Jesus Christ walked this earth as a man, at the same time was 100% God. Jesus left His dwelling place in heaven, came and lived amongst men. He subjugated Himself to this world and allowed Himself to be crucified so that we could be reconciled to the Father. We need, not, we need to not lose sight of that incredible truth that we believe in. The Mount of Transfiguration is an awesome account, but it's even more awesome to consider that He was able to conceal it and that God actually walked amongst us. Back to that Greek word, metamorpho. It's only used four times in the New Testament. Okay? Twice it's used in connection to the transfiguration. 
and describing the change in Christ that occurred here on this mountaintop. The other two times mentioned in Scripture do not speak about change in Christ, but they speak about you and me. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 It says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That's the word right there, metamorpho. By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it's the other time that this word is used. It says, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You see, the the truth of the matter is that just as Christ was transformed on that mountaintop, He desires the same work in our lives. That we would be transformed. That there would be a noticeable change in appearance and form in our lives as we surrender our lives to Him as a living sacrifice and we allow our minds to be renewed through the Word and we behold the glory of the Lord as we worship Him and we allow the Spirit of God to do that work in us. A metamorphosis. Molding and shaping our life into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. None of us are a finished product yet. This work of metamorphosis, it's an ongoing one in our lives. It's being transformed, right? At salvation, we were made a new creation, but that new creation, it's still being transformed. It's still being molded. It's still being shaped. And we need to be open to the Lord's transforming work in our lives. Verse 4. It tells us that when Christ was transfigured, that two other individuals showed up speaking with Christ, Moses and Elijah. One thing that I wonder, and maybe I'm sure some of you do as well, is how did Peter know that these two individuals were Elijah and Moses? Uh, we're not recorded in, in Scripture that there was any introductions that were given. Okay? Uh, we don't read of any, at least. And so it's a bit of a mystery. How did they know? How did they know that that was Moses and Elijah? Um, although the Scripture does not tell us in this account, I do believe that Peter and the other disciples were given a glimpse into what it will be like when we are in heaven and when we are face-to-face with the Lord. Second, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians Chapter 13, verse 12 tells us something. It says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. When you and I, when we get to heaven, we will see and we will know fully. We will have a complete understanding. Okay? Those that are, are in heaven with us, we won't need name badges to identify ourselves. Like, oh, you're... You're Elijah the prophet. That's so cool. You know, I read all about you. And, you know, oh, you're, you know, Peter, I read your, your letters. And, you know, we're not going to have that. We're going to know. We're just going to see people. We're going to know. That's Moses. And that's Elijah. And that's King David. And that's just going to know. And, and I think, and I believe, although it's not told us specifically here, that I think that's what's happening here. Perhaps 
you know, I, I believe that this is a, a reasonable explanation to how Peter can know the identity of these two individuals, that they were given that special glimpse into what it will be like in heaven. The Bible doesn't teach us that specifically. It's just a plausible explanation. Maybe they did have knee badges. I don't know. Okay? But it's interesting to think. How would they know? Okay? Verse 4 uh, says, Then Peter answered, excuse me, verse 4, Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You know, Luke's gospel, if you read the account in Luke's gospel of the transfiguration, it actually tells us that Peter said this, uh, he blurted these words out as Moses and Elijah began to depart from Christ. Okay? Their, their conversation was complete and they were parting ways. And that's when Peter says what he says. Okay? Peter realized something. He realized that it was good. It was good for them to be there. It was good that they got to see and, and be a part of something incredible, something miraculous in the transfiguration. And as he saw this moment passing, as Moses and Elijah were parting ways, Peter came up with this idea to build three tabernacles, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. A tabernacle, okay, uh, it's a, a tent. Okay, it's an abode, it's a dwelling. Uh, the tabernacle, if you guys remember, the tabernacle of the Old Testament, okay, it was a, a center of worship before the temple was built. Uh, you'll recall that the tabernacle would be uh, popped up and torn down as the Spirit led and said, hey, it's time to go here. And they'd you know, pack it up and given very specific instructions on how to do that, who's to carry what. And, and so we see the tabernacle, it's a, a place of worship. It was a, a temporary place. And that is what Peter wants to do. Let's build a place that we can dwell in and just worship in. Let's build these tabernacles. Why would Peter want to build three tabernacles up on that mountaintop? Again, we're not told specifically why, but I want to suggest to you that it was because he saw that this moment was passing and he wasn't ready to let it go. No doubt they were in awe to see something as amazing as the transfiguration of Jesus Christ and the appearance of Moses and Elijah. And as Peter testified, it was good. It was good to be there. And while they witnessed it, they probably were just soaking it all in. But once Peter noticed it was drawing to an end, the conversation had completed between Jesus and the Elijah and Moses, and they were parting ways. He comes up with this last-ditch effort to perhaps get Moses and Elijah to stay there so they can continue to see and, and be a part of what was going on. Actually, tells us in the other accounts but that he really didn't think about what he was saying. He just said it, you know, without thinking. And it was a, a responsive, uh, impulsive type of a response. Uh, let, let's build tabernacles, you know. And, and I think it was because he wanted them to stay and he wanted to continue to see all that the Lord was doing. That, that incredible, it was good to be there. And I understand where Peter's coming from. And I wonder if you guys do as well. You know, have you ever had one of those mountaintop experiences that you just, you really didn't want to end? You know, if possible, you would have you set up your own tabernacle there. You would have had a tent. You said, I'm just going to stay here and end this moment and it's going to be awesome. 
and it's going to be incredible, and, and, and I'm going to stay here just as long as I can. Or maybe it wasn't necessarily one specific moment or experience, but perhaps a season in your life. A season that was just rich, was awesome. God was doing just incredible things, and you just long for it to never end. You know, I've experienced that over and, and over again in ministry. While in Okinawa, as you guys know, it's a similar body makeup here. A lot of military people, people connected with the military. And while in Okinawa, the Lord brought a, a number of incredible people into my life. People that I wish never had to leave. But, but thanks to the United States government, they would leave. Usually every three years. Sometimes we'd get them for six if they would extend. Okay? And it was a bummer to have to say goodbye to people and to, to leave because God was doing great things in their life and God was doing great things in our lives together in a relationship and you just wanted that moment, that season just to last and you didn't want to have to see it go. I understand why Peter would say, let's build some tabernacles. Let, let's make this moment last for as long as possible. Maybe you're here at, at Calvary Chapel, Iwakuni, but you really wish you were back in the States. Back at your home church, where the pastor spoke powerfully and passionately, and it was way better than me, and I understand that. Okay, And, and the worship was just, you know, filled with energy and power and the fellowship was filled with friends, friends that were like family. It was just, it was awesome. God was moving mightily. And if given the opportunity, you never would have came out here. Okay, I understand if you're in that place. But let me warn you about something. The problem with this type of thinking is that the Lord was moving on. You see, Jesus had completed his conversation with Moses and Elijah. They were departing. The Lord had new things to do, new people to meet and speak to and to minister to. He had a a greater picture in mind than just that moment. And I believe the same is true for us. You see, those incredible moments that we have in life where God is just doing awesome things, or that those seasons in life where God moves mightily, they're just that. They're moments. And they're seasons. They have a beginning, and they have an end. And then God moves on to new moments, and new seasons. And as I said, the problem with wanting to remain in a moment, or or to remain in a season, is that the Lord is moving on. And He wants to create new seasons and new moments in your life. Seasons and moments that can be just as incredible and just as awesome as the previous ones. But if we're stuck in the moments and the seasons of the past, we're going to miss out on the new ones the Lord has for us and wants to show to us. Let's not make the mistake of trying to make a moment or a season Last for a lifetime, or last longer than what the Lord intended for it. When the Lord moves, we need to move too. And I believe with all my heart that God is moving here in Iwakuni, and I don't want anyone to miss out on all that the Lord is doing because we're stuck in moments and seasons of the past. 
God's doing something now. Hang out. Be a part. Watch the Lord move and, and let Him use you in a new moment, in a new season. I think Peter, he just wanted to hang on to that moment. Let's build some tabernacles here and just hang out. We're going to extend it as long as we can. Verse 5, it says, While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Verse 6, And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. As Peter was still speaking, the Lord interrupted him and, and called out from among a bright cloud and declared, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. This is something that I think is a little bit funny. It would, it, it would seem that perhaps Peter would have just kept on talking. You know, the idea is that he got interrupted. So it's like, I wonder what else Peter would have said. Uh, he often got himself into trouble with the things he said. But uh, he gets interrupted. The Lord calls out. And I love what the Lord does here. You see, when Peter was all caught up in the moment, and the wonder and the awe of, of Jesus being transfigured, and Moses and Elijah being there, and, and everything that was taking place on that mountaintop, the most important thing was Jesus. Peter, God realigned Peter's focus. Peter, the focus isn't upon seeing the miraculous, seeing Moses and Elijah and all that's going on. The most important thing is my son and hearing his word. So many times I think we want to be awed and we want to be amazed by signs and wonders. We want to see evidence of God's work through, through special miracles and whatnot. But God, I think God's reminding us here when God says, Look, the most important thing is my son. In hearing his word. We must realize that the most prominent way, and oftentimes I believe some of the most amazing ways that God reveals himself is not through miraculous signs and wonders, but through his word. If you want to see God reveal himself in an awesome way, spend some time in his word. Let it minister to your heart. Let it speak to the situations that you find yourself in life just struggling with and facing. You know, so many times I've been amazed at how God can speak to me and reveal Himself and His plan to me through His Word. And you go into a situation and you think, well, I'm going to read my devotions, but this has nothing to do with what's going on in my life. And then you read it and you're like, oh my goodness. That's exactly what I needed to hear and that's exactly what the Lord wanted to show me. If we take the time to spend time in His Word, I believe He will reveal Himself. And, and I believe that's what the Lord's trying to show Peter. <laughs> oh, this is incredible, but the most important thing, this is my son. We need to hear His Word. After hearing the voice of God come from the cloud of the disciples, they do the, a very natural thing. I think they fall flat on their faces, and they're in great fear. I, I mean, I... I, can you imagine being there, right? You're like, you see the transfiguration, the sun so bright, and then this cloud comes and you hear this, you know, what I imagine to be a just a very deep, booming type of voice. Not a yelling, but just a, you know, deep, you know, strong voice come. You know, these guys, they, they fall prostrate on the ground. They are face down and they are in great 
fear. Let's read what happens next. Verse 7, it says, But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And when, uh, excuse me, uh, and when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Here we see the Lord Jesus do three things for the disciples in the moment of great fear, in a moment of great uncertainty and what's going on. This is incredible. He came to them. He touched them. And then he spoke to them. And I believe God does the same for us as well. God comes to us when we don't know what's going on, when, when what's going to happen next, when we're maybe we're times of great fear or great certainty. God comes to us. Okay? He comes to us and he brings us comfort. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 says, God comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. A lot of comfort in there. Okay? God comes to us during those times of uncertainty to comfort us. But not only for that reason. He also comes to us so that we too might go to others and bring the same comfort that He brought to us, bring it to them. And so God comes to us. God touches us. He touches us in our hearts as He ministers to us through His Spirit. But also, you know what? He uses you and me to reach out and touch others. We get to be His, his hand as we place our hand upon someone's shoulder. We get to be His arms as we reach around someone and give them just a warm, sympathetic embrace, a hug. And we get to be, we get to touch, we get to be the hands of the Lord in those times. God also speaks. He speaks to us through His Word, but yet again I believe sometimes He chooses to use brothers or sisters in the Lord to share a word from the heart of the Lord. And so we see there's a pattern here. I hope you're kind of catching it, that God, God does do these things in our life, that He, he, he uh, comes to us and, and He touches us and He speaks to us. He does those things. But you know what else? He uses us to do those things. God wants to come to us, to touch us, to speak to us. He wants to use us to accomplish that in the lives of his children. He wants to do that in our lives, but he wants us to do that as well as his representative, that we can come to people and we can be, give them a sympathetic touch. Sometimes just a, just a hug means so much. You know? Or a firm handshake for a guy, I don't know. But, you know? And, and sometimes we get to share a wor- word with someone and speak some, into someone's life. And God uses that. And I want to encourage you to let the Lord use your life to be His hands, to be His feet, to go to people and touch their lives and speak His words to them, to have an impact on their life. Well, when all is said and done and the disciples lifted up their eyes, all that remained was Jesus. I think that's a very cool picture. They're freaked out, laying prostrate on the ground, and when they look up, all they saw was Jesus. That is my hope and prayer for each of us today. That when we are going through difficult times, times of uncertainty, times of fear or dismay or whatever it may be, that when we look up, that all we would see is Jesus. 
Because He alone can satisfy us completely. And He alone can meet our needs. Today we're going to spend some time in worship. We're going to partake of communion uh, this morning. And as we do so, I want to encourage you just to worship the Lord. To look up to Him. To find in Him all that you need. And so, uh, at this time, I'd like to invite uh, Nick and the worship team back up and ask the ushers to come forward and prepare to pass out the elements. This morning, we noted uh, a number of things, and I, and I hope and pray that the Lord ministered to you through His Word. Okay? We noted how if we want to be a part of the things the Lord's doing, then, then well, we ought to be spending time with Him, make spending time with Him a priority. That God desires to transform our lives, to mold and shape us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. We noted how it's, it's good. It's good to have mountaintop experiences or seasons, but we can't allow ourselves to get stuck in those moments and seasons. When the Lord wants to start new seasons and He wants to do new things, we've got to be open to that. We saw the Father realign Peter's focus We're reminded that that God most often reveals Himself through His Word, not through signs and wonders. And lastly, we just noted how the Lord desires to use us as His hands and feet to touch and speak into the lives of His children. So hopefully the Lord ministered to your heart this morning. Uh, At this time, the ushers are going to come forward. And they're going to go ahead and they're going to pass out both the bread and the cup. I want to encourage you guys to partake in, you know, uh, see some new faces here if you feel like uh, don't feel like you have to be this is your church hey if you're here visiting feel free to take communion it's not a, a church thing it, it's a, a Jesus thing and if you want to partake of communion and remember him I invite you to do so and so they're going to pass out the bread and the cup the worship team is going to lead us in a time of worship and, and once everyone's received the elements uh, I'll come back up and just give further instruction um So just spend some time worshiping the Lord, searching your heart, and uh, asking the Lord, Lord, where am I at with you? My priorities, they need to be changed. The things that we spoke of today, uh, make adjustments. And if so, just be real with the Lord. Amen?